Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to you, moms. I hope that you have been sufficiently honored, received breakfast in bed this morning, and new car in the driveway, and they swept for you, and did all the laundry, and didn't, you didn't do that for them? Neither did I, I'm sorry. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this message this morning just from the, the standpoint of, of just how, um, what a good model I'm going to give you this morning scripturally. This person that we're going to look at um, I think is very relevant for today's woman, uh, very relevant for many of the women in our church, possibly all the women in our church today, and uh, I, I think we're going to learn a little something this morning. I want to start by telling you about a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip that was written. Uh, Calvin is standing by his mother's bed when he says, hey mom, wake up, I made your Mother's Day card. And his mother's real pleased, and, and you know he's standing there, and he's getting ready to start to read the card, and, and he reads, uh, I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red. But then I thought I'd rather spend the mo- I, I would. But then I thought I'd rather not spend the money instead. And it's awfully hard to buy things when one's allowance is so small. <laughs> so I guess you're plenty lucky I got you anything at all. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. There I said it. Now I'm done. So how about getting out of bed and fixing breakfast for your son? <laughs> I like that. Being a mom is not easy. That is an understatement, is it not? That is, that is uh, being a mom is not easy. Uh, a mom was talking to a, a college friend, and she said, I remember before I was married and had kids that I had three theories uh, on raising children and no children, and now I have three children and no theories. You know, they, they kind of go out the window, don't they, as the kids come along. Everything you thought was going to work doesn't necessarily work. Um, some... Almost a century ago, um, our president, uh, Woodrow Wilson, proclaimed the second Sunday in May to be Mother's Day, and he said that it was to be a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country, and it is true that uh, no nation is greater than its mothers because they truly are uh, the maker of the next generation. I want to talk to you this morning about five defining traits of a woman of faith this morning. We're going to look at the life of a woman named Hannah in the Old Testament, and I think that uh, many women in the room this morning are going to be able to identify with Hannah uh, in a number of ways. The first thing I want you to see about this remarkable woman is that she, uh, she women uh, of faith exhibit real problems. Now, if you know me very well, you know that I can't even hardly relate to you unless you're a little messed up, Okay. You've got to be just a little messed up. If you're too perfect, I can't relate to you. I, I, I'm being honest. I, when I run into Christians who, who never have a problem, who think that, you know, who, whose life is just completely perfect, they've got perfect kids, you know, perfect job, perfect house, perfect everything, perfect life, I just look at that and think, that's plastic. That's, there's something not real about that. So, um, you know, we have people come to this church all the time, and one of the things we hear a lot uh, out of new people as well, you know, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm 
and they don't mean they don't say this but this is what they're trying to say i don't feel like i'm good enough i don't think i'm good enough i've got too many problems i got too many things that 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 are in between me and god and god sure can't love someone like me and you know i hear that and i just think man i mean if if you don't if you don't have some real problems in your life i it's hard for me to talk to you because um, my friends and the people that I know and the people I'm close to, all of them, problems everywhere. I mean, there's just all kinds that we're broken. I tell people all the time, the beautiful thing about this church is that this church is, this room this morning is full of broken people, people who struggle, people who, who have a hard time understanding certain things, people who go through just pain like you can't imagine. I mean, th- we're broken people, and, and because we are, I think what, and because we're honest about it, let's, let's, let's just put it where it is. A lot of churches this morning, I have a lot of people in the room that aren't really honest about what's going on in their life and aren't really honest about the fact that, hey, you know what, I'm broken down, and, and my life isn't always put together, and sometimes um, it's just hard to put one foot in front of the other. Real women of faith exhibit real problems. Look at verse 1. There was a certain man from... Ramiathim, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. This next verse is very telling. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Why do you think Scripture words it like that? That's a significant little passage right there. And if I stop right there, you've got all the insight you need, don't you, on the life of Hannah. You know some things about Hannah, and you know some things about her world and, her, and her, her, probably her psyche. Um, there are some women in the room this morning can, can perfectly identify right now with Hannah. Um, the wife's chief role in, in uh, Hannah's day was to produce offspring, offspring not, not offspring, I don't, know, I don't know who produces offspring. Women produce offspring. Um, her role was to produce children for her husband, and especially males, um, because it was really, really important for the family line to be continued. Uh, in fact, these verses kind of start with a little mini genealogy just as a, a demonstration of how important those family lines are, and this one would belong to this one. And, and it was really important for a woman to be able to produce for her husband sons. And when you couldn't do that, if it came to a place where you just realized, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that, it, 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 um, it would have been considered in her day a curse to not be able to produce uh, children for her husband. She would have been looked down upon by the other women and other men in the culture who would have known her. Hannah joins a very long list of people in the Bible women in the Bible who were unable to conceive children. Um, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was one. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Rachel was Jacob's wife, had a difficult time. Uh, Ruth, Boaz's wife, had a difficult time. And Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, for the longest time, had a very difficult time conceiving children. Usually, uh, the childless women that you see in Scripture, um, they, they tend to become the matriarchs of faith for us. And, and Hannah might have viewed today, Mother's Day, as, as some kind of, of rip-off. You know, some kind of... Uh, Hannah might have looked at a day like today and not maybe had the best um, attitude toward it. There, it's, it's highly possible this morning that there's someone in the room this morning who, 
who has wanted more out of life or wanted more out of from for you know for kids or for whatever that that hasn't completely been fulfilled and they come to a day like today and they they just feel like they're getting ripped off a little bit i i know some women who who have said you know mother's day is one of my least favorite days uh, because the reminders sometimes are very difficult maybe um maybe you didn't want to come to church today maybe uh today for you was just a very difficult day and and um it could be for a number of reasons. Maybe your mother is no longer alive, and you miss her, and you, and you know it's just it's hard to come, and you know you're going to hear a Mother's Day sermon, and uh, that that just becomes really difficult. I, I can't tell you how many um, posts I've seen on Facebook lately of just, especially women, who who will write just one or two lines about a mother that is no longer alive, and they'll just say something like, "I miss your mom," or, uh, you know, "Today is my mom's, you know, would have been my mom's such and such birthday," and. And I really miss you, Mom. I just wanted to say something. I, I can't tell you how many times I see that posted, and uh, it's, it's saddening to me. Um, maybe you're here today, and um, you don't really care for your mother. You know, you've got a mom, but you think, I don't like my mom, you know. And, and the idea, you go, to the, you go to the store, and you see all the cards, and they're all syrupy sweet, and Mother's Day's all syrupy sweet, and you don't feel that way. And you know Mother's Day's coming, and you know you probably should do something, but you don't feel like doing something, and it's just hard for you to kind of ramp up for the day. Maybe your mother is sick right now, and um, your thoughts turn really to how much longer you're going to have her, and it makes you sad to think you know, that, that, that you don't have an eternity on earth. You don't have a, a whole lot of time. Maybe it's, it's a day for you that's, that's just wrought with all kinds of sadness just because of uh, you know maybe what's coming. Maybe you're here today and you're a single dad. And and uh, you're the one that has become mom. And you're the one that's got to look after. And, and you've got to explain to these kids, you know, what why their mom's not more involved or why um, she is the way she is. Uh, there's a, <laughs> amazingly enough, MTV can do great programming. I don't know if you believe that or not, but trust me. Uh, MTV has a show right now called 16 and Pregnant. Anybody seen that show? I'm a firm believer that they ought to, that, that ought to be mandatory viewing for every 7th grader, maybe 6th grader uh, in the United States of America, especially every 6th grade young lady. Unbelievable. They take these 16-year-old girls who are pregnant, and they've got a boyfriend usually, and they just follow them along through that pregnancy, and they show... Um, how the boyfriend responds to the news and how the boyfriend responds as she starts to get bigger and then how the boyfriend responds when, <laughs> when labor starts and, and the guys are all freaking out like, oh my goodness. And, and um, there's this one episode that Meyer and I were watching and uh, this little girl, 16 years old, mom wanted nothing to do with her. Just wanted nothing to do with her. And, this, and, and several times in this hour-long show, this... A uh, little 16-year-old girl is calling out to her mother like, Mom, I want you to, I want to spend time with you. I, I, I love you. I want to be with you. And the mom's busy with a boyfriend or the mom's busy at work or whatever it is, but the mom is just not around. And then they always do this follow-up thing with these girls, and they kind of tell you what's going on in their world. And, and the, one of the saddest things to me was this little 16-year-old girl has had her baby, and, and she's got this little grandchild that she's wanting to share with her mom now, and the mom's just nowhere in the picture at all. It, it's just, it was it's very, very sad. Several women in this room have probably experienced things like that. Some women in this room, a lot of women in this room have, have experienced miscarriages. You know the pain of, 
of going through horrible, difficult things, problems. It's real life. It's real world. It's, it's not dressed up. It's not pretty. It's not, um, it's not all put together all the time. Women of faith exhibit real problems. Um, some of you maybe have never had kids, and you would have given anything to have held your own baby, and, and uh, it didn't happen. Ladies, look at me. We honor you today. You, you're valuable to us. And if the men in the room have had a hard time today expressing to you your worth and your value, let me do it for them. Because guys aren't always good with words, and guys have a hard time sometimes conveying what's on their mind. But you need to understand this morning that we value you highly, and we honor you. And just personally, me, uh, several, several, many of you in this room are of great personal importance to me. And I just want to say thank you for the contribution that you've made uh, in my life and in the lives of the men in this church, the little boys, uh, for those of you who teach that spend time with little kids. Um, we, th we thank you and we honor you. Let's, let's press on. Verse 3. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Now, these two men that are listed here as the priests who were born to Eli, Hophni and, and Phinehas, they're, they're not good guys. These are not good men. Um, at best, they could be described as hypocritical. At worst, they could be described as evil. Um, Nothing, however, was going to keep this man, Elkanah, from going to worship. You know, he could have been like us. He could have said, well, it's a long way. I don't feel like doing that. It's, a long, it's early in the morning. I don't feel like getting up. You know, I, I don't like the pastor. I'm not going to go. <laughs> I don't want to go. You know, that wasn't Elkanah's excuse at all. Even if nobody else did their duty around Elkanah in his culture, he was going to do the right thing. Uh, verse 4, when, they, when the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. These verses show us something about his devoted heart. Um, he gave portions of the sacrificed meat uh, to Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But also to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. The sacrifice was a thank offering, and it, it allowed worshipers to be able to eat the portion of the food that had not actually been consumed and sacrificed to the Lord. Um, it's called a double portion, and that literally means to show your face. What, what uh, Elkanah was doing was showing his face, trying to show Hannah how worthy she was in his sight. Uh, it must have been difficult for Hannah to eat a meal that was known as a thank offering, as a, if you will, kind of a thanksgiving meal. It had to have been hard for her to eat that. And the Bible says she had a difficult time eating. And it was hard for her to, because her heart was heavy. And, and, and Hannah probably didn't feel all that thankful. Uh, Elkanah was a devout man. He walked with God. He, he was devoted to Hannah. But he had a divided family. Uh, Elkanah had two wives, and, and that was not 
really God's original intent for marriage. It's likely that he married Hannah first, and uh, she became unable to produce children for him, so he took a second wife so that he could have children. And while the Bible records polygamous relationships, it does not really endorse them. And um, personally, I've never understood why you would want more than one wife. It, it <laughs> Doesn't that mean two mother-in-laws or more? Um, I love my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. I do. I have a great mother-in-law but I only want one. (laughs) Verse 6, And because the Lord had closed her womb, I want you to see in this instance that Hannah's problem came from God. Now, I know we don't like to hear that. I know know we don't like to think that way, and I, I know that creates all kinds of theological problems for us, and we don't like to have to explain to people, well, you know, what does it mean that God causes the problem? You mean God gave me this? thing and I know that that's all hard for us to kind of explain sometimes but God is the one who allows good things and bad things to happen in our life God's in charge and we could say very easily with Job shall we accept good from God and not trouble verse 6 describes the character and personality of Penina because the Lord had closed her womb her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Hannah and Penina did not get along, and Hannah's barrenness was the bitter reminder that Penina would use all the time to throw up to her face. You've not been able to do for your husband what you were uh, really supposed to do. You've not, you, in other words, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. That's what Hannah heard all the time from this woman. And Penina was relentless, and the Bible says that she reminded her year after year. The word that gets used there is the word provoke. It means to cause her thunder, which means she was trying to get Hannah to blow her top, trying to get Hannah to just go off so that she would make a spectacle of herself. The word irritate refers to being stirred inwardly. She's trying to keep her messed up, off balance, not settled. Year after year, Penina did this to Hannah, and the Bible tells us that it got so bad that Hannah didn't want to eat. She lost her appetite. Some of you this morning are in the middle of the kind of sadness that, that you just don't want to eat. You, you, just, you, don't, feel, you just don't feel like it. It's, it's just the way it is for you. Elkinah tries to comfort his wife the best he can. Verse 8, Hannah, <laughs> poor Elkanah, we'll, we'll talk about his problem here in a minute. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, I think it's nice that Elkanah wants to console his wife. And goodness knows that I have joined the ranks of millions of men who have not said things exactly the the right way or the best way. I think most men would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm probably in that category too. Let's face it, us guys are all a little challenged sometimes when it comes to knowing exactly what to say and how to say it. And, you know, I think when we, um, when they were handing out sensitivity, sometimes guys were at the very, very end of that line. And all the ladies in the room would probably be ready to say amen about now, right? Isn't that right? Elkanah does what many of us men tend to do 
when, we're, uh, when our wives are hurting, instead of listening to her pain, he tries to solve her problem. Um, let me give you a little marriage and dating tip, guys, just in case no one's ever explained this to you. When you come home at the end of the day and your wife starts to tell you something and she's telling you somebody's maybe mistreated her or talked nasty to her or, or hasn't been good to her or, or, you know, something didn't go right with the kids or whatever it is, she doesn't want you to fix the problem. She doesn't want you to tell her what she should have said. She, she doesn't want you, know, to, you to defend her honor. If somebody was hateful to you at the grocery store, she doesn't want you to go to the grocery store and beat them up. It's not what she wants. She just wants you to listen. She just wants to know that when she's finished telling her story that you could recite the story back to her. She wants to know that you've engaged. Ladies, am I right? Am I right? I'm right, aren't I? I haven't learned a lot in marriage, but I have learned that much. Um, what she doesn't want to hear, this is what she doesn't want to hear. Baby, I'm all you need. I mean, which is what Elkanah is kind of trying to say. You know, aren't I greater to you than ten sons? Babe, what else could you possibly want? I'm standing right here in front of you. Guys, ladies don't want to hear that. And Elkanah, as best as he's trying to help this poor woman, it's not working. Some of you, probably all of you women, women in this room, have um, endured insensitive comments and actions from the men in your life. Just let me tell you that we can't help it. <laughs> we are stupid. You know, we just can't help it. We, we don't know sometimes. Seriously, though, God understands your pain. He does. God knows what you're going through. God knows you have real problems. God knows that you struggle. God knows that life is not always put together for you. Let me just get real personal for a minute. That dream, that vision, that thing that you've always wanted in your life that you've hoped would come true, that hasn't come true, God knows about that. God knows that thing that, that you only confess to him, that thing that when you say, God, I, I, I've, just, I've wanted this, whatever this is, I've wanted this my whole life, and I just, God, I don't have it. God understands that. God understands your pain. God knows that you're hurting. He understood Hannah's pain. Second thing I want you to understand is this. Women of faith express vibrant prayers. Verse 9. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost in the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery... And remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah had some problems, but that did not, she did not allow those problems to shut her faith down. She didn't allow her problems to, to block God out of, of what was going on in her world. She expressed her faith in prayer. Sometimes, God uses our problems to get our attention. Sometimes God uses our problems to really kind of knock on the door, wake us up a little bit. Psalm 119.71 says this, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Look at verses 10 and 11 back in our text. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery 
and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Her weeping led to worship, and her tears mingled with her prayers. I can tell you this, the prayers that come from bitterness of soul are far different than any other kind of prayers that we pray. Wouldn't you agree with that? Don't you pray differently when you are deeply afflicted? Don't, don't you pray differently when your heart is heavy? Don't you pray differently when you've got things that are weighing on you that you just can't even, you never even imagine that it could be that bad? Those prayers are different than the other prayers that we pray. Alan Redpath said, when God has an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and he crushes them. Hannah is broken. She appeals to God, the Lord Almighty, and she's appealing to his power and authority because she knows there's not a thing she can do. Part of her prayer is that she is given a son, and, and she says, if you'll give me a son, I will dedicate him to the Lord for his entire life. And this son would become a, a Levitical priest. When you read, and, and no razor will ever be used on his head, what she's saying is that he will become a Nazarite. And the thing about a Nazarite is they, they didn't cut their hair. They, they didn't drink fruit of the vine. So that they, wine, which was very abundant in this time, everybody drank wine. A Nazarite uh, would not have done that. Um, very strict kind of upbringing and the kind of things that he would have had to have, have stayed away from. Dead, he wasn't allowed to be close to a dead body. A lot of things um, that were in order for a Nazarite. Samson, if you want somebody else in Scripture who who was a Nazarite would have been Samson, would have been one. Um, Hannah learned a very important truth, and, and sadly, a lot of parents don't learn this. Children are not just for parents. Children are for the Lord. One of the things that, that um, I think most people have a hard time learning, in fact, some people go through their whole life and never learn it, and that is really that our children don't belong to us. Our children are loaned to us, and we get them for just a little while. And um, the problem comes when we start to look at them as ours and not his. And um, God always wants us to see our children as his. Verse 12, and she kept on praying to the Lord. This wasn't some quick popcorn kind of prayer that sometimes we pray if we're in a hurry or if there's something going on that, that um, prevents us from you know, being very steadfast and persistent in it. This was a prayer that was ongoing for her. This was a repeated request through many, many tears in Hannah's life, she's praying this prayer. She didn't pray like most Hebrews. Most Hebrews would have prayed out loud. Hannah is praying, um, you'll see in verse 13, Eli observed her mouth. Verse 13, Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. She's not trying to draw attention to herself. She, she's not trying to um, be flashy or flamboyant. She, she, her prayer is coming from a, a broken place in her heart. Her prayer is, is very earnest. It's very humble. It's, it's very sincere, the things that she's saying to God. It amazes me sometimes, if I can get on my high horse for just a minute, it amazes me sometimes what I see happen sometimes when certain people pray. Nobody that I know in this church prays this way, but I've been in prayer circles and different groups where there's no way God could have been glorified because there was somebody else in the, in the circle that was upstaging him. You know what I'm saying? You ever been in a prayer circle like that where, where prayers are being offered, but, but I, don't, I wonder if God's even able to hear it because somebody's just making so much racket that, that 
you can't understand what's what's being said and and it's just a they're trying it just seems to me like they're trying to draw the attention to themselves i don't think that's how you're supposed to pray i don't think that's how hannah prayed i think hannah was very sincere very humble very quiet um offered up a prayer that that was uh you know, for lack of a better word, weighty, a very weighty prayer. Uh, even though she's praying silently and humbly, her quiet prayer has some unfortunate circumstances. Look at verse 13. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And this tells us a little something about the culture that she lived in and what was going on around her. It would have been commonplace for people to have um, partaken of of the fruit of the vine to the point that they would have gotten uh, drunk. But eventually Hannah is able to explain to Eli what she's doing. And finally Eli comes back in verse 17 and says, Go in peace and may the God of Israel, keep in mind, this is the priest uh, who's kind of blessing her. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. This is a huge blessing for Hannah. Um, the, the high priest has kind of given his amen to the whole thing. And, and her countenance changes at this point. It get, it, it's different. Verse 18, the second part. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. After having spent time with God, after having offered her prayers, she's left her concerns with God, and she now experiences what Philippines calls this peace that passes all understanding. Never underestimate the power of a praying woman. Number three, women of faith experience God's provision. Verse 19, early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I, have asked, because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel, Samuel means heard of God. So um, every time Hannah said Samuel's name, she would remember his origin and his destiny, what he meant and what he was for and what his purpose was. I want to be careful here. Just because a woman prays doesn't mean God's going to give them a baby. That's not what it means. But you have to understand that, that one out of every six women who want children can't have children. God answered Hannah's prayer but not just so she could have a baby. God answered Hannah's prayer because he needed a prophet who would do the things that he needed him to do. He allowed a time of barrenness in Hannah's life so that he could bring her to greater blessing and, and then bring Samuel, uh, which would be more joy than she could have ever possibly imagined. Number four, women of faith excel at keeping their promises. Now I want to just ask you a question, ladies. If you'd gone as long as Hannah without having a child, and if you'd gotten to the place where you thought, I'm never going to have a child, and then you prayed the prayer, God, if you'll give him to me, I'll give him right back, and I'll give him back for the rest of his life. How many of you really think you could have kept that promise once the baby showed up? I think that'd be a difficult promise to keep. Look what happens, verse 21. When the man Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah told her. Uh, Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until 
she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I have prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. A lot of people make promises to God. A lot of people make promises to God that unfortunately don't get kept. She dedicated herself to her son and she dedicated her son to the Lord. And when it came time to make good on her promise, that's exactly what she did. She brings Samuel to Eli and says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. She says it twice. It's almost as if she's trying to solidify in her mind. He's given to the Lord. He's given to the Lord. Later on in chapter 2 and verse 19, we'll read this. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. She saw him once a year. And every year she would go, she'd make a robe, and she would take it. Um, but this child that she wanted so much, this child that she'd prayed for and her heart had longed for and her heart had been broken, when that child finally showed up, she made good on her promise. She gave him back to God. Verse 28 gives us a little glimpse of uh, the young heart of Samuel. At age three, or, or thereabouts, they wean children about three or four years of age. Uh, the Bible says that he worshiped the Lord there. Now, where do you think a little kid like that learns how to worship the Lord? Uh, I can tell you where this little kid learned to worship the Lord. I learned that from my mother. There is no sacrifice. There's no replacing a godly praying mother. Ladies, hear me clearly. There is no replacing a praying godly mother. You just, you, you just, it cannot be overstated how important uh, a godly woman and her role is in the life of any young child, male or female. Uh, they are so impressionable. And, and ladies, even when you think that no one notices your faith, even when you think no one hears your prayers, even when you think no one notices that you're praying, no one notices that you're faithful at church, no one notices that you do it the right way, doesn't matter. Keep doing it because your kids are watching you. I am testament of a, of a I would have never said a word to my mother about what I saw. But every single day of my life, I watched my mother pray. And you can't replace that in the life of a kid. I want to tell you a story, and then we'll wrap up. There was a, a, a man, a, a Jewish man named Solomon Rosenberg. He had two children, David and Joshua, and a young wife. They were Jewish, and they got caught up and taken captive during the Holocaust. And... Um, Solomon knew, as did all of the family, that when you were in a prison camp, that you, you lived as long as you were useful. And the day you ceased to be useful to them was the day you ceased to live because you just, there was no, you were no account to them. It didn't matter anymore. And so uh, every day, young Solomon would go off and do his work. And every night he would come back and he would search for the faces of his young kids 
and his young bride, and he would, when he would get them all together, they would huddle together, and they would pray and give thanks that they'd made it through another day, and they just enjoyed what little time they had together in that prison camp late at night. And, um, you know, Solomon knew that he had a son named David who uh, was kind of frail and, and weak, and he worried about him because he knew that uh, he just was not strong enough to be able to continue doing what he was asked to do day after day. He knew that eventually... Uh, the powers that be were going to come after his son and take him uh, uh, away because he just couldn't keep up. And sure enough, one day he came back at the end of his time and he found, uh, he looked for his, his family like he always did and he couldn't find them and he's searching, he's searching, he can't find them. But he sees his young son Joshua in a corner crying by himself. And he runs up to Joshua with his heart uh, up in his throat because he fears the worst and he fears he knows what's happened and he says, Joshua, uh, tell me what, what's happened and he said well um, they came for David today uh, David couldn't keep up and they came and took David away and and he said you know we, he understood that he he prepared for it it hurt it was horrible but then he said but where's your mother and he said well David started to cry and as they led David away mom grabbed his hand and mom went with him see that's what moms do Moms kind of put everything else on the back burner. Moms kind of, um, they kind of sense the moment and they tend to know what's most important. And, and when, it, when the time comes for them to step into a moment and be everything that a mother needs to be, moms just have this God-given innate ability to know when that is, even at the risk of their own life. And I just, you know, could tell story after story. Young Hannah had the love for a son like that who was willing to put God very first in his life to make sure that he honored God with every uh, portion of his being and that she would raise him in a way that he would count the uttermost for God she was willing to forego a mother's greatest joy which is time with her kids so that he could be everything that God wanted him to be she did what it took to help him reach his God-given potential let me ask you ladies is that the number one goal in your life? Are you first of all, first and foremost committed to raising your kids so that they can reach their God-given potential? Always make that your number one goal. Let's finish this up. Number five, women of faith explode with praise. Hannah was happy to have parented a prophet. This is uh, verse one of chapter two. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Women, you are of great worth in God's sight. Whether or not you have a child, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, I want to be careful how I say that. I want to say it's inconsequential. It's not inconsequential to you, I understand that. But you're of great worth in God's sight. You're of great worth with the problems you've got in your world. You're of great worth in spite of all the negativity maybe that's going on in your world. You're of great worth because uh, even if your heart is heavy, God has plans for you and wants to use you in a magnificent, glorious way. You're of great worth because he made women in such a way to be able to do things that men just cannot do. We, you, you have certain gifts, certain skills, a certain touch, a certain way, a certain voice. 
And men just can't match that sometimes. And it's very, very important that you not lose sight. Realize today that God loves you for who you are. Realize today that he understands your sorrow and your pain if you have it. Realize today that he will meet you right where you are. Let's pray together. Father, this young woman in Scripture, Hannah, who wanted desperately a child, and she prayed and she prayed, and when she finally got what she'd been praying for, she kept her promise to you. I think it would be hard, God, to pray that kind of prayer, to, to worry about what's around the next corner, am I ever going to get what I'm praying for, and, and to make promises to you, and then once the baby shows up, to actually realize, I've, I've got to go through with this. Father, faithfulness is so impressive to me because it's so hard for us to be faithful. But Lord, you are incredibly faithful to us. You're faithful when we are not. You don't give up on us when we give up on everything. You love us when we are unlovely. You model for us everything uh, we want to be. Father, as we've looked at the life of Hannah this morning, I pray that she's an inspiration to the mothers in this room. Father, we give you thanks for the women in this room this morning who mean a great deal to us personally, but mean even more to you. And I pray, Lord, that they feel honored today. I pray that they feel your pleasure, that they know that you're proud of them, that you love them. Help them to walk with their head high today. Because there's nothing like a woman. It's in Jesus' name.